0: Hey everyone, welcome to the Singletracks Mountain Bike Podcast. Back in August, the Singletracks team got together for a meetup out in Salida, Colorado. It's where Greg actually lives, and several of us made the trip out from all over the country, including one of our riders, Helena Kotala. Helena lives in Pennsylvania and decided to drive out for the Singletracks meetup, and this is the story of her road trip. A few weeks ago, I told our readers that I was heading out on a road trip from my home in Pennsylvania to Colorado. My goal was to ultimately meet up with some of my fellow tracks crew to ride and hang out in Salida. In route my plan was to stop and ride as much as possible. I had selected some potential spots and many of you gave me some valuable feedback. I very much enjoyed reading all your comments and ultimately added even more trails to my list. I didn't have nearly enough time to hit even close to all of them, but I did get to ride a few really great places and I had a blast doing it. Though my original plan included stops in West Virginia and Kentucky, I ended up getting a slightly later start than anticipated and decided to drive on through these closer to home spots. Big Bear. Lake and Cooper's Rock are only a few hours from where I live, so it would be easy to head down there for a weekend and explore. I also arrived at Cave Run Lake in Kentucky a little too late in the day to get in much of a ride, so I decided to just keep driving and try to make some headway on my westward journey, saving the riding for the next day. Binder Lake in Jefferson City, Missouri was not on my original list, but early in my second day on the road, I started getting antsy. I needed to ride, so I used the Singletracks mobile app to find some nearby trails. Binder Lake had good reviews and was about 20 minutes off the highway. I decided to take the detour and it was worth it. The trails are located at Binder Lake State Park which, when I arrived on Tuesday morning, was quiet and nearly deserted aside from a few fishermen. I stopped briefly at the Trailhead Kiosk to check out the map and took a picture for reference in case i needed it but found that the trails were well marked with arrows directing the rider to the various loops i found that the trails were mostly flowy somewhat reminiscent of my local allegrippus trails but with less climbing there were a lot of short climbs and descents but nothing sustained and it was easy to get into the rhythm of the rolling single track there were plenty of mildly technical spots to keep me on my toes though rock gardens rooty sections bridges loose descents and log piles I got a good 2 hour ride in, enough to stretch the legs and get my heart pumping, before shoving my now dirty bike back into the rental car and hitting the road again. I learned a lot on this road trip, and one of the things I learned is that there is actually great riding in the midwest. Granted, I only rode a couple places, but I was thoroughly impressed. Swope Park rid me of all my misconceptions about the flatland, offering an oasis of rocky, technical, and quite challenging singletrack, in the middle of a metropolis no less. I showed up at Swope after driving through Kansas City, trying to find my way. I was probably that driver that everyone hates, changing lanes at the last minute, driving too slow while looking for the correct road, and was met with a parking lot full of bike racks and cyclists in various stages of getting ready or returning from a ride. It was evening and the after work crowd was clearly descending upon the trails. I had downloaded a PDF map on my phone, available via the official park website. There are two main loops. Rancho Deluxe is the easier trail, which stays on the top of the little hill that is the park, while Woodchuck Run circles the perimeter and winds through and over huge limestone outcroppings. From these two loops there are a number of connectors for a variety of ride options. I opted to head down Woodchuck Run and was immediately greeted with chunky technical sections linked together by short spurts of flowy trail. It was awesome and I was having a blast. And then my rear wheel started rubbing. I stopped to see what was going on and realized that I had lost one of my alternator bolts somewhere along the trail. I ended up walking out of some killer single track. Lesson learned, always ensure that your bolts are tight before every ride and carry spares when you're traveling. Luckily, I was able to find a bolt that did the trick at the hardware store, and $1.59 later I was back in business. Of all the places on my list, I think I was most curious about Switchgrass in Kansas. I was interested to see what Kansas riding would be like, and I had heard mixed reviews about the trails and area. Most people really liked it, but there were a few who thought it was overrated. I was excited to see for myself. I had spent the night slightly west of Kansas City, so when I arrived at Switchgrass it was nearing midday. I knew that ideally I wanted to ride these trails early in the morning or after the sun went down because of the heat. But as I was just passing through with limited time, I just had to make the best of it. I stopped at the park office for a map, and after examining it for a while, decided to park by the bridge and start my ride with the Hell's Creek Loop. Trails are arranged in a stacked loop system and are all directional, so even if you do them all, there's supposed to be no backtracking or overlapping, which is pretty cool. There are about 22 miles of trail in all. After passing under the bridge, I found myself on mainly flowy single track that was punctuated by sections of rock, sharp turns, and short but steep climbs that kept me alert. The trail would sometimes follow a narrow ledge on one of the many bluffs above Wilson Lake, adding some excitement to the ride. The Hell's Creek loop winds around the bluffs and lakeshore before gradually switchbacking up the hill and back down the other side away from the lake. I thought the views and scenery were interesting as it's totally different from what I'm used to. The wind blew pretty steadily, which was actually quite a relief because it was about a hundred degrees and there was no shade except for under the one tree on the aptly named Lone Tree Hill. I wanted to do as much of the trail system as possible, but the heat was really starting to get to me and my northeasterner body. So after completing the Hell's Creek Loop, I decided to bag it. I would have loved to sample the rest of the trails at Switchgrass, but if I'm ever back in the area, I'll make sure it's either in a shoulder season or very early or late in the day. After Switchgrass, I was pretty antsy to finally get to Colorado and spend some time with a friend in Boulder before heading to Salida for the single tracks meetup. So after my ride, I packed the bike, hopped in the air conditioning, and drove straight on through to start the next chapter of my journey. Once I got to Colorado after my drive west, my first stop was Boulder, where I stayed with my friend John. Thanks for the couch, hospitality, and great ride. I spent much of my full day in Boulder riding around town. I found that the city is incredibly bike friendly and many places are accessible via bike paths that are totally separate from the street. After grabbing coffee and breakfast and running some errands, I headed to Valmont Bike Park. Valmont is a 42-acre, free bike park that caters to just about every style and ability of rider. I wasn't sure what to expect when I got there, whether it would be dominated by huge jumps and features that were beyond my ability, or if the people would be friendly and tolerant of those of us who aren't comfortable with riding the bigger obstacles. I found that Valmont is indeed a friendly place, with something for everyone. There are quite a few beginner and intermediate trails with optional features. There's a dedicated skills course for practicing log rides, rock gardens, and small berms. Valmont also offers fun, drop-offs, bridges, rollers, and skinnies on the intermediate trail, as well as plenty of fast and flowy sections. Then there were the bigger features of the terrain park and dirt jump area and dual slalom course. Each of the lines of the terrain park are labeled by difficulty and size of features ranging from extra small to extra large. I tried some of the smaller stuff, but shied away from the big jumps, as I know it's out of my ability at the moment. Spent a couple hours playing around and could have stayed longer, but I needed to get back and meet John for an evening mountain bike ride that he was planning at Hile Valley Ranch. Hile Valley Ranch offers about 14 miles of trail with great views of the front range. There are two different access points from the north and south. We started at the south end on Wapiti Trail, a 2.5 mile climb to the top of the mountain, and then did the longer loop on the top. Wild Turkey to Ponderosa Loop. The access from the north end is via the five and a half mile Picture Rocks Trail, which is an out and back that offers plenty of climbing. We planned on hitting up the Oscar Blues Brewery in Lyons after our ride, so we talked briefly about riding there via this trail and then riding back in the dark, but neither of us brought lights so we bagged that idea. It's something to consider for another time though. The trails were pretty chunky and rocky, but relatively easy to pedal through. The toughest part was the climb at the beginning, especially for my east coast lungs. Though we weren't even that high above boulder i could tell my breathing was a little more strained than usual toward the top of the climb it was all worth it though as the top of the mountain offered fun rolling moderately rocky trail with beautiful views we stopped at a vista for a minute and took in the surroundings before heading back down the wapiti trail since this trail is two-way it was important to pay attention and maintain a controlled speed despite the instinct to just bomb down the hill especially in the many flowy sections. We did not encounter quite a few people coming uphill as we were headed down, so we had to stop often. It was still a blast though. Howell Ranch was definitely a good introduction to Colorado riding before I headed down to Salida for a weekend of longer, high elevation rides. The single track team met early on Saturday morning in the parking lot outside of Elevation Beer Company, which I had discovered the day before when I arrived in Salida searching for an IPA. I was the first to arrive as I needed to wrench on my bike a little before we took off, making sure that those bolts were still tight. The others arrived shortly thereafter. I was the only female, Not at all unusual place for me, but I'd also never met any of these guys before, aside from Aaron. Combine that with the fact that I had no idea what the riding would be like, or how it would fare above 11,000 feet of elevation, and I began to feel slightly out of my league. We shuttled up the mountain to Monarch Pass, where we would begin our ride on the Monarch Crest Trail. While waiting for the drivers to return, I took pictures of my bike in front of the Continental Divide sign, and my unusual rig drew some attention. I ride a Salsa El Mariachi with a rigid, fat front and a 29er rear. Not a setup you see much outside of my hometown circle of riders, where it's actually pretty common. We call it the Huntington Special for that reason. The drivers showed up and we were off, climbing up double track for a while before bearing right onto the Monarch Crest Trail. Trail continued to climb gradually, finally emerging above treeline. The views were incredible. The trail itself was a little rocky in spots, but for the most part relatively smooth, so I could focus on the scenery around me instead of gripping the bars for dear life. We rode along the mountain top for a while before dropping back below treeline and onto Agate Creek Trail. The Agate Creek descent was deeply rutted and pretty chunky in spots as it descended off the mountain, then mellowed out a little as it dropped farther into the valley. Once in the valley, the trail rolled and meandered along the stream with short descents followed by short climbs. This section of trail was a lot smoother than the initial descent off the Monarch Crest, but that would change soon. The very bottom of Agate Creek brought some rocky sections and a lot of stream crossings. I kept seeing various car parts and even some mangled metal vehicle frames strewn about in the narrow valley we were riding in. And I realized that there was a road above us. These were the remains of vehicles that had met an unfortunate end. On a happier note, the stream crossings proved to be a lot of fun. After one quick hike-a-bike, we were on the home stretch, a short dirt road leading to the cars. After lunch, the rest of the group opted to do another ride, but I decided to pass on it. I was whooped. I went back to my campsite and rode gravel roads around San Isabel National Forest for a while instead. The next morning was an early one. Waking up with not enough time to make coffee before heading to Greg's house to rendezvous with the rest of the crew, I decided to hit up a small gas station I had seen along the road the day before. However, I pulled into the parking lot only to find that they were closed. Uh oh. It looked like I had to go without my daily ritual. I guess I would survive. We drove past where we had begun our ride on the Monarch Crest, down into the next valley and back up the dirt road where we parked next to a grove of aspens. There was no shuttle today for the Canyon Creek Trail Loop. We'd climb 4,000 feet in 10 miles and then descend back down. The climb began on the same gravel road we'd driven in on. It was gradual at first, a nice warm up. We passed through the ghost town of White Pine. Eventually, the road became steeper, rockier, and washed out. We climbed for miles, alternating between pedaling and pushing, with some brakes to take pictures in between. Then the real hike-a-bike began, up steep, boulder-strewn single track that was pretty much impossible to ride. We pushed and carried our bikes. I could see those who were ahead of us switchbacking up the mountain. Seemed like we still had so far to go. As we gained elevation, my breathing became more labored. I developed a headache. I'm not sure if it was due to the altitude or the lack of coffee. I push for a minute or so and then have to stop and catch my breath. My lungs weren't used to 12,000 feet. But finally, we made it to the top and the views were worth every second of pain. As we began descending, I felt a little thrown by the exposed trail. I'm not sure if it was a result of already being a little lightheaded due to the altitude or exertion or the fact that I'm not so great with heights. But I suddenly felt like I was going to fall right off the mountain. I slowed a little to compose myself, taking my time to pick through the rocks and focus on the trail. Once we got back below treeline, I was ready to go fast again. There were some sketchy, rocky sections on the way down to the valley, but then the trail smoothed out and became super flowy for much of the rest of the descent. Just before arriving back at the vehicles, there was another substantial climb. Nothing compared to what we had done to get to the top of the mountain, but after miles and miles of descending, it was pretty brutal. I walked most of it, too tired to even attempt to grind my way up. But the trail ended on another downhill, a fun set of switchbacks that popped us right back where we began, in the Grove of Aspen. and grub at Moonlight Pizza and Salida tasted so good after all that riding, and then it was time for me to head back east. It's been real Colorado till next time. So we all definitely had a blast at the single tracks meetup back in August, and there's still some more stories to come from that weekend, including a report about our descent off of Pikes Peak, starting at 14,000 feet and going down to 7,000 feet. Until next time, peace.